welcome to the inaugural episode of 49ers Access. I know the world's a little crazy right now. Coronavirus, COVID-19 is kind of circulating all over the globe. Uh, I myself am in quarantine right now. I'm not sick, but I am in quarantine trying to stay safe. But let's talk some football. Let's distract ourselves from the outside world. If you don't know, my name is Sterling Bennett. I'm a journalist working in the Bay Area. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in sports journalism from Azusa Pacific University, I formerly worked at Fox Sports Radio, and currently I work at 95.7 The Game as a producer and production assistant. And I grew up in the Bay Area. I love the Bay Area. And one more thing, I bleed red and gold. With that said, let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers. Today, we're going to break down the offseason thus far and look ahead to the upcoming draft in three steps. The first one, why the Niners chose Eric Armstead over DeForest Buckner. Two, what San Francisco should do with the 13th overall pick. And lastly, do Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis have a role on the 2020 49ers roster? With that said, let's jump in to the first segment. Why the Niners chose Eric Armstead over DeForest Buckner. Now, first I want to say, as most Niner fans are thinking, losing DeForest Buckner sucks. He's one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL and been a constant presence of professionalism at a Pro Bowl level almost every single game, every single year since he was drafted. But, I do agree with the 49ers in picking Eric Armstead over DeForest Buckner. Now, if you would have told me that a few years ago that uh, I would agree with the Niners choosing Armstead over Buckner, or I would agree uh, that Buckner should be traded for a 13th overall pick, I would have called you crazy and said, what are we doing? You must be on crack. You know, it's one of those things where it makes you scratch your head if you look at yourself back in the past. But as of today, March 28th, I agree the 49ers did the right thing. My mind has changed, and I'll tell you why. I've become more forward-thinking in what San Francisco has done and what they need to do this offseason. The Niners chose 90% of their roster over DeForest Buckner, and knowing they were likely going to lose Emmanuel Sanders in free agency, they elected to have the choice to replace both of them in the draft and retain the remainder of the roster. The Niners are going to save an estimated $20 million over the next five seasons after signing Buck, after signing Armstead to a five-year, $85 million deal, almost $17 million a year. When compared to Buckner's four-year, $85 million extension with the Colts, which is around $21 million a year. Now, obviously, each contract is going to have their certain quirks to it where some guy makes $10 million one year and only eight the next year. You get my point, though. With the extra money in saving from Buckner's deal and, and giving Armstead the extension he deserved, the Niners get to extend guys like George Kittle. I think he's pretty darn important. <laughs> Fred Warner, the leader on defense, and Mike McGlinchey, who has been holding down the right side for the last few seasons. Now, before I get to my next point, uh, the Niners gained much-needed draft capital capital, excuse me, and flexibility by trading away DeForest Buckner. The Niners now have the option to draft the star receiver at the 13th overall pick, like a Jerry Judy, or a CeeDee Lamb, or Henry Ruggs. And they've also gained draft capital 
or, or are able to gain even further draft capital by possibly trading down at 13, maybe back to 20, or the 31st overall pick to retain the picks they gave away for D Ford last offseason and Emmanuel Sanders. The Niners don't pick in the second, third, and fourth rounds this year. Then that is where your teams are made. Debo Samuel, second round pick. Fred Warner, a third round pick. Dre Greenlaw, a fifth round pick. George Kittle, a fifth round pick. The, the majority of the Niners' stars have been second to fifth round picks. And we just can't ignore that here. The Niners needed that draft capital by trading away Buckner. They put themselves in a position to regain draft capital and replace star players they lost in free agency. Now, let me ask you a question. If I told you, DeForest, by trading DeForest Buckner, the Niners could replace Emmanuel Sanders with a younger, cheaper, and faster option, resign Kittle, Warner, McGlinchey, while having the option to regain the draft capital they lost over the last few years, wouldn't you take that deal? I know I would. I know it sucks. I know it sucks losing Emmanuel Sanders, who is clutch all season long. I know it sucks losing DeForest Buckner, our captain on defense, someone we look forward to to see every single Sunday. And I understand the argument here, and this is my next point, is that DeForest Buckner does things that don't show up on a stat sheet. They don't show up on the line score, if you could say that. But the numbers actually still side with Eric Armstead. I'm going to prove to you why Armstead is trending up, and Buckner, while still being great, is arguably not as good as Eric Armstead. Tackles Armstead had 35, Buckner had 33. Pretty even. Sacks, Armstead 11, Buckner 8. Pretty even once again, but still a difference of three can be very big in the NFL. Pressures, Armstead 62, Buckner 55. Now they're gaining more separation. And here is the biggest statistic of separation between Armstead and DeForest Buckner. Their PFF grade, which is grading players not only just on statistics but also on performance on the field that doesn't show up on the line score in the stat sheet. Buckner, 78.8. Pretty darn good. That, that, that is a good PFF score. Eric Armstead, 89.8. Eric Armstead was not only statistically better than DeForest Buckner last year, but he was also graded higher as a player than DeForest Buckner on non-statistical areas while playing in the game. Armstead also ranked 14th in the NFL on defense among defensive linemen and third among edge rushers. So as I just ran down for you, while I love DeForest Buckner and I hate losing a all-pro level talent up the middle, a great run defender, I also love the fact that we're able to keep Eric Armstead, who's trending upwards, on a cheaper deal for longer and we have now the ability to replace DeForest Buckner in the, in the NFL draft, get a star receiver, or possibly regain that draft capital and build up our depth with a player and hopefully find someone like a Debo Samuel in the second round, a Fred Warner in the third round, a George Kittle in the fifth round. The Niners made the right move here in trading DeForest Buckner and picking Eric Armstead over Buckner. Now we're to hit on that 13th overall pick that they got in return for Buckner, but now we have to ask ourselves, what should San Francisco do with that 13th overall pick? This is the second topic of today's show. What do the Niners do with that 13th overall pick? Now, I already said they got it back for Buckner, and this 13th overall pick 
puts them in a place, like I've already said plenty of times in the first 10 minutes of the show, where they can fix many of the holes they have on the roster. They could draft an interior offensive lineman or, or even try to replace Joe Staley, because let's be honest here, Staley probably has one more year left in him. Tristan Wirfs from Iowa is there. The Niners love him as, as a tackle. Mekki Becton from Louisville could be there if they want to go for a right tackle or an interior or interior guard and move him to left tackle next season. They could also target a defensive lineman to replace Buckner at 13. Derek Brown from Auburn is a large, strong man. Then Javon Kinlaw, who I think is kind of the guy almost every Niner scout, almost every Niner journalist has circled from South Carolina. He could possibly be a target there. But, and this topic is not new, this, this statement is not new, the Niners need to replace Emmanuel Sanders in the 2020 NFL Draft with the 13th overall pick. You already know why. I already mentioned why. Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, and Henry Ruggs are three of the best receiving prospects over the last decade in the NFL. And I want to break down for you why each of them does fit in Kyle Shanahan's system, but more importantly, which one fits better. Now, if the Niners get Judy, Lamb, or Ruggs, I'm not going to complain. I was a big Ruggs guy. Now I'm turning into a huge Jerry Judy guy. But I want to show you who I really think is the best fit for the 49ers in Kyle Shanahan's system that can not only instantly a tribute to the Niners' season and their overall offense, but will only get better as time goes on, playing next to George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Kendrick Board, and that number two ranked rushing attack. Jerry Judy's prospect grade, according to NFL.com, is 6.80. That is equivalent to a year one quality starter. His strengths, he's the best route runner in this draft and arguably one of the best route runners I've seen coming out of the NFL in a long time. He runs crisp routes that I've never seen someone run before. He's better than all of last year's receivers. He's, he's better than Debo Samuel probably right now. And we all know how great Debo Samuel was last year for San Francisco. Jerry Judy also is a touchdown machine. 24 touchdowns in his last 28 games. He's almost averaging a touchdown a game in college. And he's not playing in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or, or, or the Mountain West Conference, whatever you want, to, whatever conference. He's playing in the SEC, a a conference with the best defenses, the probably the equivalent to an NFL defense almost every single week in conference play. He's burning players like C.J. Henderson, who played for Florida, a top cornerback in this draft. He's burning top defenders consistently on offense, to score touchdowns and make an impact in every single game. Now, Judy does have weaknesses. He's slender. He's not as small as CeeDee Lamb is, and I'll get to him next. But he's slender, and he's unlikely to be that first option working into the middle of the field between the hashes. But the good thing is the 49ers have a Debo Samuel to do that. They have a Kendrick Bourne to do that. We witnessed all season for 17 weeks, not including the playoffs, how much and how great... Debo Samuel and Jimmy Garoppolo's chemistry is on that five-yard slant route that somehow Samuel seems to catch every single time and take it for five more yards after the catch. Judy doesn't have to be that kind of receiver and honestly may not possess the talent in year one to do that. 
and Judy also needs to eliminate some easy drops. There are times where Judy, as great as he is, as a 6.80 out of 8 uh, graded player of NFL.com, there are some times where there are wide open passes or passes where he's open uh, by enough to catch the ball and it hits him right in the hands and he drops it. Now, I do think that will fade away over time and the more chemistry you have with the quarterback, it's kind of hard to go from Tua to Jalen Hurts, so I understand there may have been some transition there. But having Jimmy G working with him, gaining chemistry, we saw how Tom Brady worked with his receivers and that if they had chemistry, he will place the ball in the correct place every single time, or for the most part, every single time, and you have to be there. And I think Jerry Judy, the unfortunate part with him is while he does have really good hands, there are times where there can be a lapse in judgment or, or kind of a, a, a 1% fault uh, where he can drop some easy passes. So Jerry Judy, the best route runner in this year's draft by far, scored 24 touchdowns in 28 games. And despite his weaknesses, I do think he could slide into Kyle Shanahan's system and after a year or two could be a top receiver or if not a top receiver, one of the best receivers in the NFC alone. Moving on to Oklahoma's C.D. Lamb, a prospect grade of 6.81, so he's 1-100, if that's correct math, better than Jerry Judy according to NFL.com scouts. Also a one-year quality starter. And let me tell you something, C.D. Lamb is, to me, the best receiver in this draft. C.D. Lamb's strengths are something you look at and you go, no one else can do that. He averaged 21.4 yards per catch in 2019 as the primary target for Oklahoma. Now, let's be honest here. The Big 12 doesn't have the best defenses, so you can look at that and say, well, it's kind of skewed. But Jalen Hurts, and not a knock on him, Jalen Hurts is not that great of a quarterback. I hope he does fine in the NFL, but he's not that great of a quarterback, not that accurate of a quarterback. And CeeDee Lamb made things happen that Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs didn't make happen. C.D. Lamb, 21.4 yards per catch. That is insane. The NFL tallies 20-plus yard plays, 40-plus yard plays. Almost every single time C.D. Lamb touches the ball, 21 yards. Imagine going from the 25 to the 45 in one play. He's already getting you to midfield after one catch. That's insane. He has big play talent on all three levels. He can go deep, he can go over the middle, and he's fantastic behind the line of scrimmage. We all know Kyle Shanahan loves those dump passes, those screen passes. We all know he loves those pitch passes, the Kittle to the right or left side to, to Debo Samuel on the left-hand side. CeeDee Lamb fits Kyle Shanahan's system to a T. Now, while he does have... A lot of great attributes. CeeDee Lamb definitely does have some weaknesses. There are times when he's in the middle of of running a route and he wastes motion. What I mean by he wastes motion is that he makes unnecessary movements that can allow defenders to kind of break in on his routes. Like, look at the NFC West alone. Seattle always had a, always has had a good defense. Quandre Diggs is now there, a veteran safety or Arizona and Patrick Peterson and Buda Baker, the Rams and Jalen Ramsey and Taylor Rapp. They, these NFC West teams, despite not being maybe the best teams looking at you, the Cardinals and the Rams, they do have a solid secondary pieces that can read routes. And that is one thing I do not like from CeeDee Lamb. 
poorly. They have to make his routes crisper. If if CeeDee Lamb ran the routes that Jerry Judy did, he would be a X-Factor if you're playing Madden here in Fort C or not, but that, that, that's who CeeDee Lamb would be. Now, the other weakness CeeDee Lamb has, he has a slender build for a primary target. Now, I know it's the NFL, it's 2020, the archetype for a receiver is very different depending on who you look at. But the skinniest receiver I can think of right now is kind of DeAndre Hopkins. He's pretty small, but he's also like 6'3". He's also extremely tall and is very lengthy. Uh, CeeDee Lamb is not that. Uh, CeeDee Lamb's archetype, to me, is not DeAndre Hopkins. CeeDee Lamb's archetype is someone who's skinny, but is shifty enough and elusive enough to where you don't even have to touch him. There are plays where you, you will not even touch him. He's that shifty. He can move and beat any defense that's in front of him, and that's the explosiveness Kyle Shanahan loves. He loves yak receivers, and while Judy's a great yak receiver, CeeDee Lamb is on a different level. Let me remind you again, 21.4 yards per catch. That leads me to my final receiver, possibly available at the 13th overall spot. There's plenty more later on in the draft, but these are the top three guys. The last one, Henry Ruggs. A prospect grade of 6.70, so still a really talented quality one-year starter, but a little worse than Judy and Lamb. Now, initially, Henry Ruggs was the guy I want San Francisco to pick. And like I said earlier, no matter who's there for San Francisco, if it's Judy or Lamb or Ruggs, I'm not going to be upset because all three of these guys are going to fit into Kyle Shanahan's system well enough to be successful in year one. And while I do think Lamb and Judy do fit in Kyle Shanahan's system better, Henry Ruggs definitely has some strengths the other two don't have. Henry Ruggs ran a 4-2-7 at the NFL Draft Combine's 40 time. A 4-2-7 is almost the fastest 40 of all time. Let me remind you again. Almost the fastest 40 time of all time. He's almost one of the fastest players in NFL history. He has Tyree Kill-like speed. That's Henry Ruggs. He's taller, he's bigger, a bigger build. But he can take any catch to the house just like Tyree Kill. We've all seen the highlight videos of Tyree Kill running down a, you know, a corner or catching up to a teammate from like 40 yards back before they reach the end zone. Henry Ruggs has that kind of speed. It's like a kind of a playful annoyance of speed. Henry Ruggs is that kind of receiver. There's a reason why teams like Philadelphia and Denver want him. Because they want to go deep. They want to open the field up for the middle of the field for for Ertz. Or if you're the Broncos, you want to open it up for Sutton on the inside. That's what Henry Ruggs can do for San Francisco. He can go deep. He can open up routes for Kittle and Bourne and Samuel and even Mostert or Breida. Who's ever behind it in the backfield. He can do things that while Judy and Lamb can do them, Ruggs can do them exponentially better. Ruggs is 4.27 speed, and I'm, I'm going to take a small dig here, but uh, Emmanuel Sanders isn't the fastest guy, despite being a solid receiver. The final play, I guess not final play, but one of the final plays of the Super Bowl was the pass to Emmanuel Sanders for like 60 yards. That was an incompletion. Henry Ruggs catches up to that ball. But I will, and that leads me to my weaknesses in his. Despite him being under the ball, he is not the best deep ball tracker. Despite his 4.27 speed, he doesn't track the deep ball well. 
Sometimes he overruns it, sometimes he underruns it. That's certain things that you have to teach, and Henry Ruggs will have to improve that if he wants to be a consistent and elite level deep threat in the NFL in the NFL, excuse me. And also, the NFC West has very physical corners and safeties. Like I said, Jalen Ramsey, Patrick Peterson, you can go on and on and on. Now Quentin Dunbar is in Seattle. Against physical corners, Henry Ruggs doesn't do well. He can't get a separation, and sometimes there are routes where it doesn't even look like he's trying to get open because he knows the ball is going to a different receiver. Now, in a system like Kyle Shanahan's, who who works on deception, play action, some fake screens to an out route, Henry Ruggs can't do that, which is why I don't think he's the best fit for San Francisco, and I do think that Kyle Shanahan could work that out of him. But if you look at all the the attributes, weaknesses, and strengths of Ruggs, Lamb, and Judy. I broke them down into three archetypes. Ruggs is the premier deep threat, or, or that could work into being a premier deep threat. Jerry Judy is the sure-handed and top TD threat in this draft, and and uh, CD Lamb is the explosive receiver that can kind of do it all. Maybe not do everything to the you know the top tier you know one percent level, but it can do everything at a good to great level, and some things at an elite level, like yak yardage, and Kyle Shanahan loves yak yardage. So now let me ask you the question at home, or if you're in your car, wherever you are. What type of receiver do the 49ers need? And to do that, you have to consider what they already have on the roster. Kittle, the most dominant tight end in the NFL, great receiver, great blocker, can do it all. He can go deep, he can catch that route, go over the middle. Kittle can do it all. Samuel is the quick slant elite route runner type receiver over the middle kind of guy in, uh, that, that Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan love. Kendrick Bourne is that clutch third down TD guy who just sometimes finds a way to get open uh, in, in the red zone or like in the third and 16 against the Rams uh, late in the season. But that only leaves one archetype left. That leaves the explosive deep threat that can score from anywhere. And that's CeeDee Lamb. I truly believe CeeDee Lamb is the perfect fit for the 49ers. He's a solid route runner. Despite his size, he can make any defender miss and is not afraid to to make contact. CeeDee Lamb, despite his size, he's not injury prone. He knows how to escape the pressure of four defenders around him. Where am I going to go? He's elusive and he can make a touchdown of any play. He can break three tackles and go to the end zone on any play. That is how elusive CeeDee Lamb is. I've watched his tape all day today, all day yesterday. CeeDee Lamb is the kind of receiver that if Kyle Shanahan can get him in his style offense, it's over. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. It's over. And I truly believe that despite Jerry Judy being a solid receiver, and he would also be a great fit. And Henry Ruggs, adding something to the Niners' deep offense that they don't have now, I think CeeDee Lamb is the overall the, the overall consensus here of the perfect fit for San Francisco's style of offense. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. Now, I discuss receivers a lot today. Whether it's the DeForest Buckner 13th overall pick and then breaking down Judy and Lamb and Ruggs. But now I want to talk about two receivers that possibly could not be on the 2020 49ers roster. And that's Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis. And this is the last topic for today's show. Two of the biggest names that have been floating around on the cutting board of the trade block have been Goodwin and Pettis. And if we're being honest here, with the return of Trent, Ch- Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd off IR, uh, Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, possibly coming back, Richie James, who I don't know why he wasn't in the offense more. He caught a big touchdown in uh, Mick 1 against Tampa Bay, got San Francisco on the board early. Didn't hear much of him since then, but I think he's a solid uh, return specialist. Then you add in possibly a draft pick, whether it's at 13 and Judy Lamb or Ruggs or whoever else. Maybe it's a 31st overall pick and Justin Jefferson or, or, or a, a T. Higgins. Who knows? But you're adding two more receivers off IR. Then you're adding a drafted receiver. So you're adding technically three more receivers into the mix here. And Goodwin and Pettis just don't fit in the same offense together. And what I mean by that is you can't have both on the same roster. You can't have both uh, in the same uh, depth chart if you want to go and break it down further. Uh, Trading Goodwin would save the Niners $3.6 million, but would also give, and would also give them $20 million in cap space heading in to the draft. Uh, That's kind of the pro for trading Goodwin. Trading Pettis, on on the other hand, wouldn't free up nearly the amount of cap space, so the Niners would be, not, it's not losing money, but not saving as much as they could, but it could also return a higher pick. If you do believe Mike Florio from Football Talk, I know some Niners fans aren't his biggest fan, but um, the rumor is Dante Pettis to the Eagles for a fourth-round pick uh, and a corner in return with that as well. So if you look at it, save money or get a higher draft pick in return. That's kind of your poison here. And so the question with any move San Francisco makes is, does the player impact the team more remaining on the team or being moved elsewhere, whether that's a cutting him or trading him? So I broke it down between Goodwin and Pettis. Goodwin, he's had two two seasons removed from a 962-yard season in 2017 when Brian Hoyer was the quarterback. He's had injuries and had a lot of personal issues going on. I think we all know the the highlight video of him, you know, kind of breaking down in the end zone, uh, following the tragic news of you know his his newborn son unfortunately passing away, um, and, and that that sucks. And you know it's something you wish on nobody. And I do truly believe that you know the the, the things the stress he's gone under while being in San Francisco since signing in 2017 have taken a toll on him and have kind of drawn his focus elsewhere. And that's not a knock on him. That's like, you have life to deal with. Football doesn't matter right now. And so I do think 2020, when he has his head clear, Emmanuel Sanders is gone. He's He is now the veteran presence in the receiving room. I think now is the time for Goodwin to take a chance, step up, and be that guy San Francisco signed him to be three years ago. There's a reason why he was being paid $4.6 million a year. There's a reason why they signed him through a three-year deal uh, after he left Buffalo. Kyle Shanahan saw something in him, and I think he still does, but Goodwin has to step up and make it right because the last two years have not gone the way I don't think he, the Niners, or the fans wanted it to go for multiple reasons. Now Dante Pettis. 
Here's the big question with Dante Pettis. Are the Niners ready to give up give up a former second round pick before his third season? Think about that. Are the Niners ready to trade a former second round pick for a fourth round pick before his third season in the NFL? It's funny because Pettis did show potential this season. Caught a big touchdown against Arizona on Thursday Night Football on Halloween night this season. And he also caught the game-winning touchdown against the Steelers in like week three. Like Pettis was showing some potential earlier on in the season. But let me break this down further. Pettis played 11 games this season. Only 11 games. He only started four of those 11 games. In his 11 games he played, he was targeted one or less times in five of those games. He's having almost no impact on the field. Of course, he was buried by Samuel and Kendrick Bourne um, and, and Debo Samuel and Manuel Sanders, but he's making no impact despite being healthy. If you're a healthy scratch, unfortunately, you're kind of worthless to an NFL team. That's the bad thing. You know, we look at Adrian Peterson a few years back when he was on the Saints. He wasn't hurt and he was a healthy scratch. What did they do? They got rid of him. I think that's the same path we're going on here with Dante Pettis. You know, it's been rumored that he's been in you know, kind of Shanahan's doghouse, which I think is evident by the lack of play despite being healthy, which is evident by you know him not being put uh, or, or plays designed for him despite being healthy. And so what does San Francisco do? Do they value cap space by trading Goodwin? Or do they value potential with baggage in Dante Pettis? And that baggage can be a multitude of things. We don't really know what it is, but there's some kind of baggage there. At the end of the day, I think San Francisco is more inclined to take a chance on Marquise Goodwin. He's coachable. He needs a fresh start. And by that, I mean he needs 2020 to be the veteran presence in that locker room. He has succeeded in Kyle Shanahan's system before, which Dante Pettis has not done as much as Goodwin did in his first two seasons in the NFL. And he adds an element of a deep threat to the team that doesn't have one currently. Now, you can ask yourself, well, if they get rugs, what's the point of having Pettis? And yes, that's a great argument to make, and I can look into that and break that down later. But the point is here is that this is a kind of a, a hypothetical where the Niners add C.D. Lamb, or Jared Judy, they have Samuel, they have Kendrick Bourne, they have Trent Taylor in the slot, Jalen Hurd kind of playing that tight end, running back receiver hybrid. What do they not have? They don't have a legitimate deep threat. And Marquise Goodwin is that. Dante Pettis is not a deep threat despite him being quick and elusive. He's a kick return specialist who has potential to be like a third or fourth option on an offense. And I think if you add Lamb, Samuel, uh, you know, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor, Jalen Hurd, there really isn't a spot for Dante Pettis on the roster, especially when you're in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. I really don't think Pettis even fits this team, like I said, in the crowded receiving room. You know, the Niners can't afford to waste roster spots when you're this close to the top of the NFL. When, when you are the number one seed in the NFC, you cannot waste roster spots. Every single person in the receiving room, in the running back room, has to be a lethal weapon for Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. Look at the running back room. Mostert, we all saw what he did. Lethal. Coleman, lethal as a power back. McKinnon coming back, he's going to have to be lethal or he's going to get cut. 
Jeff Wilson Jr., he contributed last season in two big ways. That big catch against Arizona, we all saw a game-winning touchdown, and the big catch versus Kansas City uh, before the half ended. Like Those are plays where young players that are deep on the depth chart stepped up. And I don't think Pettis is in a place to do that right now. I don't think he's capable of doing the things necessary to remain a significant part of the offense in Kyle Shanahan's scheme. Like I said, the Niners are not going to keep eight active receivers. You had a rookie run. You, you had a rookie receiver. You had Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor, Jalen Hurd, Richie James, Travis Benjamin, Marquis Gibbon, and Dante Pettis. That's nine receivers, not including some camp cuts they're going to have to make. You take away Benjamin and Goodwin and Pettis, that's six receivers. The Niners usually carry seven receivers. That means Benjamin, Pettis, and Goodwin are going to be fighting for that last spot. And I think we all know Marquise Goodwin is better than Travis Benjamin and better than Dante Pettis. And I think right now, Marquise Goodwin is the likeliest receiver, despite the high cap hit, to remain on this team despite being on the trade block. That's all I have today here on the first edition of Niners Access. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to share and subscribe with your friends. Tell all your Niner fans, tell the rest of the Niner faithful, there is a new 49ers podcast out there for you to listen to. Also, don't forget to leave a review in the comments and tell your friends. I already said that, but tell your friends again. Till next time, I am Sterling Bennett and stay faithful.